to join the Word with beloved Bible teacher and author, Pam Jenkins. And we're so honored that you would join us in the opening of God's Word. Today is going to be a marvelous day in the Word of God as Pam opens up the very pages that give us life and give us purpose. So let's join Pam now as she reveals the truth of the day. What we have been doing, what God has allowed us to do, is we have been tracing, or chasing, I should say, the fire of God. We began, and looking back, we began when God, in the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1, verse 4, said, let there be light. And that word light means to kindle, to ignite. And we know that from scriptures that that is Jesus. And we're going to see this uh, in our final two lessons together. And uh, But we also, from that point, we followed that fire to the life of Abraham. And we saw where God came down and we understood that that fire, it represents the presence of God. And the presence of God entered into a covenant, a solemn binding agreement. We saw that together in our lesson time with a man by the name of Abraham. And in Abraham, all the families of the earth would be blessed. So we know that that fire bears witness of a covenant that's been made between God and man. Then we see that fire in the life of Moses. We traced it to the burning bush and we saw that Abraham cried out to God and the fire came to him. But we know that Moses did not cry out for the fire. The fire came to Moses and it called Moses from the burning bush. This fire was the presence of a holy God. We're going to uh, trace this fire. We're going to continue to trace this fire. But for now, I want you to write at the top of your note sheet, the fire worth waiting for. The fire worth waiting for. Now this fire, we're going to go from Moses and we're going to take just a little jump because in our last lesson, we're going to come back and fill in a lot of these pieces and how God will tie it all together. But I want us to jump all the way to the New Testament. Jesus has gone to Calvary. He has been resurrected from the dead. He has made appearances to his disciples, and he's about to ascend to, to heaven. He's about to ascend to heaven. So we want to begin in our, in our journey of study right here. But before we do that, I want us to look at Luke chapter 12, verses 49 and 50. During Jesus' earthly ministry, this is what Jesus said. He's, he's looking out over Jerusalem. He's looking out over Jerusalem. And I want you to hear the cry of his heart. I don't want you to miss it. He said, I have come to cast fire upon the earth. I've come to cast fire upon the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. How I wish it had already been ignited. Now he's not talking about judgment here. He's talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit, the coming of the presence of God, this fire from heaven. But he says the reason why it hasn't happened yet, he said, how I wish I could see this kindling that's the heart of the Father, this burn upon the earth, that's the heart of the Father. How I wish it had already begun. And he said, but I have a baptism to undergo. And he's talking about Calvary. And he says, and how distressed I am until it is accomplished. 
how distressed I am until it is accomplished because this baptism of Jesus going to Calvary, dying for the sins of all mankind, your sin and my sin, this would allow the presence of God to come upon the earth, not in the form of of this smoking oven, this torch that we saw with Abraham, not coming down to a burning bush, but in another way, in a way that would stay here permanently until the end of time. So Jesus is speaking about this fire coming, God's presence. So with that understanding, I want you to write down point number one. Point number one, before we move, before we make a move, we wait. Before we make a move, we wait. When Jesus said, how I wish it had already been kindled, when he looks out over Jerusalem, that means I wish it had already been lit. Kindle means to to be lit there, to be set on fire. And so Jesus tells his disciples in Acts chapter 2, verse and Acts 1, uh, he, verse 4, he says, gathering them together, he commanded them, don't leave Jerusalem. This is before he ascends to heaven. He said, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for what the Father has promised, which he has said, you heard of from me. Jesus had already taught his disciples that they were to wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit, the coming of the fire. The word wait here, I want you to write down the meaning of the word wait. Wait when Jesus said, I want you to wait. I'm commanding you to wait until what's been promised, to what the Father has promised takes place until you receive it. So this waiting here means to stay around. Stay around. It involves a waiting with intention. With intention. It's a waiting because something needs to take place before you can move on. So it gives us the meaning when Jesus tells his disciples, I want you to wait for what God promised to give you. He's saying it's an intentional waiting. It's an intentional waiting. It has a purpose. You wait with intention. Now, how many of us can say, I love it when God tells me to wait? I don't think any of us like to wait. I can be one of the most impatient people. I know that shocks you, but I can be one of the most impatient people. I don't have a lot of patience. I don't like to stand in line. I don't like to take the time to read directions, you know, or or a recipe if I'm cooking. I just like to get in there and do it. So I'm not a very patient person. And my idea of getting patience is asking God, God, give me patience, but give it to me right now. I don't like to wait. And so Jesus is telling his disciples, I want you to wait. But when God has us in a waiting pattern, it's always with an intention. It's an intentional waiting. There's a higher purpose. There's something that needs to to take place in our life personally or in the situation at hand. God's telling us, Jesus was telling his disciples when we're waiting, there's an intention behind it. There's something that has to take place before you can move forward. Now, if you think about it, the disciples had seen a lot of stuff. They had given up everything to follow Jesus. 
They left their jobs. They left their families. They left their homes. Listen, they lost their reputation. Some people, I'm sure, thought they had absolutely lost their mind, gone mad, following this, quote, madman as many saw Jesus to be. They had seen Jesus work so many miracles. They'd even seen him raise the dead. One of them had been in the tomb for four days. They'd seen Jesus break bread and feed the multitudes with just a few loaves and a few uh, fish. He fed thousands with plenty left over. They had seen Jesus walk on water. They had seen Jesus calm the, the raging storm and the raging sea when they thought that they were going under. They had seen Jesus suffer and die. They saw Jesus after he resurrected from the dead. So they were eyewitnesses of these marvelous things. And, and now Jesus said, you're going to be my witness. We read this in Acts 1.8 and we're fixing to read it again in just a minute. But he says, this is the mission for you. But before you can carry out that mission, you're going to have to wait. Can you imagine them thinking, but we've seen you alive. Why can't we go out right now? I mean, we're ready. We have witnessed all of these wonderful things and now we're assured of who you are because now our faith has become sight and you're telling us we have to wait? I don't understand that. Surely that was the cry of their heart. But Jesus said, I'm commanding you, don't you run out there. Don't you run ahead of me. Don't you run ahead of the working of the Father. You have a great assignment to accomplish, but there's something coming that you're going to need. So there's an intentional waiting. Waiting is never without a greater purpose for that missing element that most of the time you and I are unaware that we even need it. They had no idea of the fire that was coming. They had no idea how their lives were going to be radically changed, how their service to Jesus was going to be transformed by what was about to take place. So Jesus said the most important thing that you can do right now is not go out and be a witness of what you've seen. Before you do that, you need to wait. You need to wait. Wait and do not leave Jerusalem but wait for what the Father has promised, which you have heard of from me. You know, we all need what the disciples were waiting on. For years in my walk with the Lord, I did not understand what I'm about to teach you. I did not understand it. I did not understand it. But the disciples, the disciples did, and this is what I want us to see today. Point number two, we know that before they could move, they had to wait. And as we begin reading in verse 8, we see our second point, which is a surrender is needed. A surrender is needed. We have a wait, but then there has to be this surrender. And you say, but Pam, they were already surrendered to Jesus. They were already sold out. Yes, but this is a different surrender. This is a different surrender because in this same chapter of Acts, we've read verse 4, but now we drop down to verse 8 and Jesus tells them why they're waiting. This is what the waiting is. You know you're going to receive what is promised, but this is what what is promised is going to do in your life. He says, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit 
has come upon you. Now that coming upon you is a little bit different than what we're about to see here that's already taken place. He said, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. Listen, as a result of that Holy Spirit coming upon you, you're going to be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest parts of the earth. Your life is now going to have an extension all the way to the ends of the earth. You wouldn't have had that before without this coming, without this, this, this waiting that I'm telling you, you need to have this power. But you're going to have to surrender to this power because he says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Let me give you what the word receive here means because it's so important for us. Receive means to lay hold of, to take by the hand, which implies a union. To take one by the hand, which implies a union. He said, you're going to receive, you're going to be united with the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what he's telling them. You're going to lay hold of the power that comes from the Holy Spirit. So it means to take with the hand, to lay hold of. It means to claim, to take to one's self, to one's own life. To make claim of, to claim, to take to oneself, to take to one's own life, for one's own life. So it's a personal connection. It's a personal, something very personal that's going to happen. And Jesus said, in this waiting for the Holy Spirit to come, this is what's going to happen as a result. As a result, they could have no idea. Listen to what Hebrews chapter 12, verses 25 through 29 tell us. It says, see to it, that means it's your responsibility, see to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not escape when they refused him, who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. And his voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised saying. Now listen, God is, this writer, he's, God is sending us all the way back to when the the world was flooded. When God has judged the world and, and, and all of these things have transpired. He says, God is saying, I have shaken the earth in the past. He said, but now once more, he said, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. This expression yet once more denotes the removing of those things which cannot be shaken as of created things so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. God says, I'm going to come in and I'm not only going to shake the the earth, but I'm going to shake heaven. I'm going to shake heaven. So those things that can be loosed and done away with and fall off and, and be lost will be lost but for those things that can't, they will remain. I'm going to prove what is steadfast. I'm going to prove what's anchored in. I'm going to prove what's of eternity, has eternal value. And he says, therefore, since all of these things are true, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable servant's with reverence and awe for. Why do we offer our service with reverence and awe? 
Because God, he says, verse 29, is a consuming fire. God is a consuming fire. Here's this fire again. This fire has been around a long time. This fire has been around since on the earth since God spoke, let there be light at the beginning of creation. When God ignited his universe with his presence in the giving of Jesus. So this same fire, he's now telling us, we've traced it. We've traced it and we've come over to the New Testament. He said, I want you to know that God's fire, God himself is not only a fire, but he's a consuming fire. He's a fire that consumes. Let me give you what consuming here means. Consuming here speaks of the whole, utterly leaving nothing left that's not consumed. So when God says, I'm a consuming fire, the fire of God intends to take all of one's life, every area, nothing left to self, nothing left to lose. It's going to consume until everything, listen, that can be burned up is burned up, but that which can't will remain. That fire of God is a consuming fire. What do we know about fire, this consuming fire of God? When we study fire, this is what I know. Fire needs an igniting, something that ignites, an igniter. Maybe if you want to start a fire, you would be the igniter because you're going to take whatever you have to start that fire. So that igniting could come through a person. So fire needs an igniter. But do you know fire also, it, it, it can be started through friction. And we don't like friction, do we? And I thought, friction? Let me think on that because do you know if we go to back to Genesis 1, I tell people all the time, everything that we need to know is in Genesis 1 through 3. It's wonderful to have the rest of it, but our foundation, our framework is found in Genesis 1 through 3. And the rest of the Bible makes sense and it keeps us on track in, in, doctrinally. And as we're studying God's word, if we come back and make sure it lines up with the, those fundamental things we learn in Genesis 1 through 3. But in the beginning, do you know what we see God doing? There's this darkness and it's empty and it's void. And God's answer was this to that condition was this igniting. You know, let there be light. That was his answer to that. But before that, what do we see? We see that God is moving over the surface. What do we see? We see a friction by God. We see a friction by God. And then God says, and he ignites his universe. In the presence and in the face of that darkness, that igniting took place. So we have to have friction. And you know, from another's flame, if I have a candle and somebody else's candle's not lit, I can take my light and I can come over here and I can light somebody else's candle with it. And do you know that my flame loses nothing by lighting another's candle, by lighting another's lamp? My flame loses nothing. It loses nothing. And then the last thing that fire can start fire is it can be started by spontaneous combustion. And I studied this. I thought, this is so interesting to me. Do you know if the elements are just right, if the situation is perfect, 
all of it coming together. Do you know that there's this perfect scenario where fire would just on its own, on its own, because the situation, the timing was perfect, the atmosphere was perfect, the elements that was necessary was perfect. This is what we see on the day of Pentecost from the heavens. Of course, not a physical fire, but a spiritual fire. This fire that can burn the fire of God. Look at what God showed me in Lamentations chapter 2, verse 3. It's speaking of God's presence and His anger towards sin and unrighteousness. It said, in His fierce anger, He has cut off all the strength of Israel. He's cut off all the strength of Israel. He has drawn back his right hand from before the enemy. In other words, he removed his hand of protection off of Israel in the time that he's talking about. And it says, and he has burned in Jacob. Now, Jacob refers back to Israel because Jacob's name was changed to Israel and his 12 sons became the 12 tribes. It says, He has burned in Jacob, how? Like a flaming fire consuming round about. Round about. You say, Pam, that's, that's a deep thing. It is. Especially when we lay hold that the, the fact of the truth that God started this himself. So Jesus is telling his disciples, I need you to wait for what's coming. I need you to wait for what the Father has promised you. And you're going to receive this power so you can be my witness. So you can be my witness. And I, I, I want us to look at John chapter 20, verse 19. Jesus has been raised from the dead. Mary Magdalene and some women come to the tomb. The tomb is empty. They run and find the disciples, listen, who are in hiding. And they tell them, you're never going to believe it. The stone's rolled away. His body's gone. We can't find him. So Peter and John have this race to who's going to get to the tomb first. And John writes about it and he makes sure that we understand that he beat Peter to the tomb. He says it twice. And so they arrive at the tomb. They go in. Peter just barrels on in. He looks around. There's no body. Sure enough, the body of Jesus is gone. And so after they see the empty tomb, the disciples leave. All the other women leave. And Mary Magdalene is left. And she has that encounter with the resurrected Lord. And so she goes, because Jesus sends her, you go and tell the others. So she comes and she comes announcing to the disciples in John 20, verse 18, I've seen the Lord. I mean, you didn't see him. We just went and the tomb was empty, but I have seen him. My eyes have literally seen the risen Lord. So she comes announcing this. I want you to hang with me. This is important. So verse 19, it says, When therefore it was evening on that day. Now listen, they didn't respond to her testimony. She said, You don't understand. I mean, I've really seen him. Maybe because it was the word of a woman. I don't know. But they didn't believe her. They didn't respond. And when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, they were hiding in fear. They ran back to hide 
when the body was missing. Now, they were already in hiding. They came out long enough and said, oh, there's nothing here to see. They go back. Now they're in hiding. A message comes to them. Jesus has been raised from the dead, and I've seen it. And they still retreat in fear, even though they belong to a resurrected Savior at this point. They they don't belong to just Jesus, the teacher, Jesus, their master, Jesus, the Son of God. Now they belong to Jesus, their Lord and Savior, the resurrected master, the resurrected uh, Savior, the resurrected teacher, the resurrected Son of God. They now belong to the resurrected Jesus. There's a difference. And so they're hiding, it says, and Jesus came and stood in their midst. We know that he just passed through the walls. The doors are shut. And he said to them, peace be to you. I love that Jesus has to steal the fear in them before he gives them what he's about to give them. He says, you don't have to be afraid. Don't be afraid. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples, therefore, they rejoiced when they saw the Lord. They've not only been comforted and Jesus gives them his peace, but now their sorrow has been turned to joy, all because now they belong to a resurrected Jesus. Do you see what's taking place here? And here's what we don't want to miss. Therefore, Jesus said to them, verse 21, again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, look what he does. He breathed on them and he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. He said, but Pam, they didn't receive the Holy Spirit to the day of Pentecost. No, they had already received the Holy Spirit. Jesus breathed on him and he said, receive him. Receive the Holy Spirit. Same word that we just looked at. Take as one's own. Make claim. Make claim. Receive the Holy Spirit. So when we get over here to the day of Pentecost and Jesus says, wait for what's coming, what was he talking about? You see, they had received the Holy Spirit, but they needed an igniting of what was already within them. I would write that down if I were you. They needed an igniting of what was already within them. Because Jesus, after a period of days, we know this period of about 40 days, and then Jesus ascends, and now it's the day of Pentecost comes. And he tells them as before he, right before he ascends, you wait right here for what's coming. You wait. And so when we turn to Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, this fire enters the picture again. When the day of Pentecost had come, the timing had to be perfect. They were all together in one place. And suddenly... There came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting and there appeared to them what? Tongues of fire distributing themselves and they rested on each one of them. Now listen, we're not going to go where most people go right here in this passage. 
Because if all we do is make a doctrinal issue of whether we speak in tongues or we don't speak in tongues, we've missed what the point is. We've missed the truth that's right here camped before us. It's the igniting that came from heaven. We miss the fire. There was an igniting that happened. When it says it rested on each of them, that means to make oneself at home, to land, to find a lodging place, to find a lodging place. Because you got to remember, they were going to be Jesus' messengers, His witnesses all the way to the ends of the earth. They needed an igniting of what was already inside of them. And this was that igniting on the day of Pentecost. You say, Pam, but why was it tongues of fire? Because they're witnesses. They were going to bear testimony. It's still the igniting of heaven. It's still the igniting of heaven. The fire was looking for a lodging place We saw it passing between the pieces of sacrifice with Abraham. We saw it in the burning bush with Moses. And now, listen, we've skipped some, and we're going to get to it in our last lesson. But now we see this fire of heaven coming down. And now it's igniting the hearts of man. We see that it's finding a lodging place within the heart of man. Number four, or number three, an igniting is necessary. We have to have an igniting of heaven if we're going to carry out the purpose that God has for us. We receive the Holy Spirit when we get saved. I believe in you, Jesus, as the resurrected Lord, and it's heaven here receive the Holy Spirit. And He comes to to fill us, to dwell within us. And so we receive Him at salvation. But then... Jesus, heaven says, you wait. Before you get out there in ministry, before you get out there in service, you need an igniting of what is already inside of you. And if we go on to read what happens, the amazing thing is, as we continue to read, it says in verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. That filling, that complete engulfing and consuming fire, and begin to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now, this is a language. And if we look, all of these people had come for Pentecost, and all from different tribes, and they spoke all these different languages, and then all of a sudden, people thought they were drunk. And then people began to realize, I hear him speaking in my, my native tongue. He's not from where I am. I hear, and another would say, I hear my language. And then another said, I hear my language. And then Peter goes on and he gives this message. And what I want us to not miss is Peter was the only one giving the message, yet all of these people who were from different places understood the message of Peter. They understood it because this igniting had taken place. And thousands, 3,000 in one day, came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I think that we try to jump out there in ministry. We know that we're saved. We have this unction that we want to jump out and we want to, we want to show our gratitude. We want people to find Jesus like we found Him and we want to see Jesus do in the life of someone else what He's done in ours. And we have all the best intentions and we jump out there with no fire, with no igniting. 
You see, because this same fire, that witness that Peter bore that day at Pentecost, when he was speaking truth, it's the same fire of covenant with Abraham. It's still upholding covenant. It's that same fire that came to Moses, that carried out the word he spoke to Moses, same fire. You see, the purpose, the mission of God's presence, the mission of that fiery presence does not change just because now it is ignited with human flesh. It doesn't change. They had a message, and listen, if the message today that we hear has, does not have the fire of heaven in it, it's not a message from heaven. It's got to have that igniting. It's got to have the same message. It's got to be in line of everywhere that we've seen it, and we're going to tie it all together in our last lesson, and I'm so excited about that. See, we can't miss the fire. It runs all the way through Scripture for us, all the way into the book of Revelation, all the way to the end, all the way to the very end of time the fire is there. The fire is there. The fire was looking for this house not made with human hands. And number four, this firepower, so to speak, was needed. The firepower was needed because we've just read they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me give you what the word filled here means. The word filled with the Holy Spirit, it means to furnish, to complete what is lacking, It means to furnish, to complete what is lacking. This igniting, this igniting, this is what this means. It means to furnish or to complete what is lacking, to completely occupy the space, to completely occupy the space. Do you see when an igniting happens in our life, this igniting from heaven, when inside of us we've believed but now it's all of a sudden God has set us on fire to accomplish the call on our life that he's given us to do. And this fire is lit. And with that fire comes ability, supernatural ability, supernatural power. But it's a power, and this is our nugget right here, and I don't want us to miss this. With the fire came a power from above that no man could take the credit for. With this fire came, listen, a power from above that no man, no organization, no ministry could take the credit for. No person could take the credit for. That's what this igniting does. And if you see someone and you think, oh, they're on fire for for God. They're on fire for the kingdom of, of heaven. Look at where it's pointing to. Who does their life point to? Who does their ministry point to? Who does their, or what, who or what does their message point to? Who's getting the glory? Whose platform is it? Because you see, this fire is always about pointing, listen, to Jesus. It's always about God. It's never about anyone else. And so this firepower came from above that no man could take the credit for. Listen to Acts 4.33. We're going to jump down. And with great power, the apostles were given testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and abundant grace was upon them all. This fire, 
If we jump down just to go a little further after this day, we know that Stephen was the first martyr of the church. And listen, Stephen had a fire within him. He not only believed in the resurrected Lord and received the Holy Spirit, but he was ignited for ministry. And Stephen, it tells us this in Acts chapter 6, verse 8. It tells us this about Stephen. It says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. Great signs and wonder among the people. I think that we have no power in our service with God today, many of us, many of those in Christendom, we don't have a power. We get busy in the works and in the day-to-day duties and serving God and serving maybe on Sunday or maybe you're in full-time ministry, maybe your job is, is service to the Lord. It's easy for us to lose that fire. It's easy for us to step out and not have that igniting that we needed and to launch out not knowing. And we just get caught up in the mundane, repetitive works without any fire behind it. Without any fire. Because you see, the igniting of God is absolutely necessary if we are going to bear His witness to the world. And if the fire bears witness, then the message, listen, is of God. If there's no fire in the message, then the message or the messenger is not from God. We need that supernatural power from above. Listen to what Romans, Paul writes in Romans 15, 13. It says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, by that igniting that comes from the Holy Spirit. We must have the fire. We must have the igniting. When we see it all put together and what that igniting stands for in our last session together, I believe that it's going to open up your eyes of faith as maybe it has never been opened before. At the beginning of the 20th century, there was a group of, of men and women, men and, and, and women both, who were missionaries, and they became known as the one-way missionaries. One-way missionaries. And they were known as the one-way missionaries because wherever God called them to go, they would have a casket made, and they would pack all their belongings in that casket, and they would send it on. It would travel with them to the country where they were going. And they only had a one-way ticket to go because they knew that they were giving their very lives for what God had called them to do, for what God had called them to do. And many of them, men and women, they lost their lives. They lost their lives They would go into places where other missionaries had gone and been killed by headhunters and and, uh, very violent people groups who didn't want them there and they didn't want to hear the gospel. But yet when one would die, another would say, I'm going. So they packed all their belongings into this casket. That was their suitcase. 
and they'd have bought a one-way ticket there because they knew, I will burn out for God in this place. My light's going to keep burning till he takes me home. And one of those missionaries was A.W. Milne. And A.W. Milne went into a place and the missionary before him there in these islands uh, in the South Pacific. And there was a, a group of headhunters where the missionary before him had gone and they had killed him. And so he knew that the possibility of me returning is very unlikely. So he packs his things in the caskets like the one-way missionaries did. And he goes and he spent uh, almost 40 years there, gave his life, and God gave him great favor. God began to give him. It was a slow process and it was a very painful journey if you read his life story. And he paid a very dear price for his life, for his mission work there. But God had ignited something within him for eternity and he said, I'm all in, God. I'm all in. And I can imagine as, as those missionaries packed each of their casket suitcases in order to do that, to buy that one-way ticket there, to, to pack everything in the casket, that's their I'm all in moment. I'm all in, God. I'm all in. And this is what happens, I believe, when God comes to ignite that fire. We've believed in Him. We've received the Holy Spirit. But we all have to hit that place where we say, I'm all in. There's no going back. There's no turning back because I've decided to follow Jesus. And this is what A.W. Milne did. And he goes over to these jungles where these hostile people were. And God miraculously spared his life time and time and time again until eventually he won over all of these people. And if you go there today in this little area where he ministered, right in the middle of the, the town, right in the middle of their village, there's this He's buried and there's this statue and this engraving of his life on there and it says, when he came, there was no light. But when he left, there was no darkness. When he came, we didn't have any light. We didn't have any fire. When he came, there was no light. But when he left, there was no darkness. You see, the fire of God it's searching and it's looking. It's looking for those people, even though they've received the Holy Spirit and they've given their life to Jesus as, as accepting Him as their personal Savior and they know that He's forgiven them of their sins, but they're not willing to wait and say, God, I want to be ignited for heaven. Set me on fire. Ignite what's already within me that happened at salvation. Set me on fire, God. He's looking for that I'm all in moment, which is what we see took place with Jesus and the disciples when he comes in and he says, receive it. Do you know they had to receive it? But Jesus said, I'm going to sin now, but I want you to wait right here. They had a choice at that moment. I'm going to wait and I'm going to wait for heaven to ignite me. Because you see, that's what God longs to do, is to ignite a fire within us so bright 
that it can reach not only our city where we are, but all the way to the regions beyond, all the way to the ends of the earth. That's how bright and unstoppable the fire of God is in the life of his child. I don't know if you've ever waited and asked God, ignite within me what you've already put there. Just set me on fire for you because I'm all in. See, God's waiting for that all-in moment. He's not talking about our tithing or our church attendance or our service, our acts of service, our works, being good workers, not that. All of our mind, all of our heart, all of our soul, being all in for Him. He's looking for that all-in moment. And when He finds the soul, when he finds that soul, because Scripture tells us he roams about to and through, he just searches to and fro all of the earth, looking for that one heart, that one soul that is completely his. So he can move in and strongly let support it. Do what? Ignite it for heaven. You see, God wants to do that in your life. He wants to ignite you for heaven. We have one more lesson left, and Lord willing, we're going to stream it together and we're going to know what this fire represents. So we'll recognize it when we see it. Amen? Let's pray and thank God for our time. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word, for the fire that burns upon the pages of Scripture. It's steady there, God. You lit it at the very beginning and it's burning steady all the way through the pages. And it has never been extinguished even in the darkest years of history. It has never been extinguished. And it burns still today, God. It is still with us. I pray that you would search our hearts to see if there needs to be an igniting to take place. Maybe our flame just needs to be fanned. God, search us to see if we've had that all I'm all in moment with you. Father, thank you. Bless this teaching of your word now. Give it good soil to find a, a, a planting place in, God, I pray. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Join the Word with beloved Bible teacher and author Pam Jenkins. Here at JBOP Ministries, we're so honored that you would join us for the reading of God's Word. We pray that today's message has been an encouragement to your soul. Join us next time for Join the Word with Pam Jenkins. God bless y'all.